new on CuriosityStream. Have researchers figured out a mathematical formula for success? A clearer understanding of how success happens could lead us to change the rules. Gain a new perspective on getting ahead. It's science of success. And the U.S. won the space race, but not without help from the Nazis. They were just years ahead of us. Meet NASA's rocket scientists of the Third Reich on the moon landing and the Nazis. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. TK. I'm trying to understand how busy is the market right now? What's going on out there? I'm on Twitter. It's making me crazy. Some people are saying it's slowing down. Some people are saying it's not slowing down. Some people are saying we had a week this week that was, oh my gosh. Like the, the accumulative amount of over asking we had this week was in the millions on in sales. In the millions? In the millions. Like, like $3 million of, of currency was Whoa. transacted over the asking price this week. Like I had, uh. I myself, I had uh, about like 1.2 million over asking combined. Combined. Yeah, one girl on our team had six hundred and eighty thousand over asking. Like we we blew out the last sale by four hundred thousand or something like that. This uh, over asking, asking, throwing blew out the last sale, throwing by darts at the 000. wall. The it's one an interesting, interesting yeah. way to buy a, a very one, big asset. Yeah, the what the other the, my my biggest like jump. I had a really good one in Mississauga, um, but it was a good jump. Like it was probably maybe like a hundred or two. But the one that I did in Scarborough was um, the last sale was 920. It was a better house. And so we listed it at 900. It was a better house at 920. I thought this is what we're going to do. And the offer was a million two hundred and seventy six thousand that we got. It was a better house at 920. I swear at 900, we were like, that's a good price for this house. It was old. It was smaller. It was, you know, there was lots of things going on there. But the offer, the offer is the offer never lies, Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a conundrum we have here though. Yeah. Like everybody in real estate right now is like, man, this is like really overheating. What's going on? What's gonna be? This is too hot. We need something to slow this thing down. This thing's getting crazy. Yeah. But what's the pricing strategy? Uh, let's price it way under the value and see where it goes, baby. The buyers, the buyers. So I'll give you an example. One I saw at Weston, I saw one at Weston Road in 401 this week. And this was the debate I was having with the sellers because they were saying to me, we should price it higher. And I said, why? And they said, well, because we want more, uh, the higher we price it, then the closer we'll get to the price that we want. Because buyers are only going to pay so much over asking. I said, okay. Now, depend doesn't matter what their price was. Doesn't matter what the 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 value, the real value of the property is, because uh, the buyers determine that. But another listing listed at the price that they wanted at the same time that we did. So this was a renovated bungalow that listed for a million two fifty and sold for a million three fifty on a nice lot, good size, totally renovated, beautiful. 
A bungalow has three bedrooms, living room, dining room, kitchen on the main floor and a matching footprint on the bottom. We have a two story that was three bedrooms, um, living room, dining room, kitchen on the two floors. So it's only got half the basement space. So it's not as big total square footage overall. Okay. Maybe a little bit more above grade, but total square footage, it's smaller. So we listed it at 1.1 because the last sale was a million 180 and it was nicer. So I put it up at 1.1. Now that last sale was in December. So I knew that prices had gone up. Hmm. The bungalow, I don't know how many offers they got, but they got 1350 for a renovated bungalow. We had nine or 10 offers and all these showings and all this activity. And we sold for 1.4 and ours was a total disaster inside. There was deer carcasses hanging in the cold cellar. The basement was full of all the person's stuff because they didn't want to move it. So they, we, the upstairs looked good, but dated from the seventies, but everything in it was just packed into the basement. You couldn't see the foundation walls. You couldn't see anything. You just had a little tunnel of stuff to walk through inside the basement. Including deer carcasses. And a deer carcass in the, in the cold cellar. Cause the guy's a hunter, the tenant's a hunter. Is this um, like like fresh meat hanging and curing? Right, curing meat. Yeah, it's that kind of stuff, right? Like it's done properly. Not like a statue. Like what do they no. call it? Uh, he's got those too. Um, the taxidermy stuff. He's got taxidermy. Too. Yeah. Not ta he's got that too, but that's like not edible meat, meat that he's going to eat. Really? Just Venison. hang in there. That's what you do. You got to dry it out. That's what you got to do. Right. Well, I, I mean, normally you don't stage the basement with it. Normally yeah, you deal with that. a normal that. situation. But regardless, and the buyers are telling matters. us. Yeah. The, buy, the buyers are telling us. The buyers need to stop doing this if they want agents to stop pricing it too low. Because when you price it close to market value, which the bungalow did, you know, they end up getting less money because of it. So I, I have a few questions rumbling around in my head here. Let me hear One. It. Like, if, if I'm a buyer, what, like, how do I know what houses to actually really look at? Like, if my budget is a million dollars, what yeah. listings do I actually look at? Because not, it's you, not you the ones to, for you a million. You need to have a really good, probably you need a really good agent most of the time. Very few buyers are analytical enough to understand what everything is selling for. Very few. Very, very, very few. I know a lot of them claim they are, but I have, I've only met a few of them and I'm talking about a lot of buyers. So you need a good agent who's going to be telling you that your budget is 1 million. These, these are the areas you need to be looking and these are the types of houses you, look, you need to be looking at. So if something comes up for a million, you should know if it's in your budget or not based off of your market experience, not because of the asking price. Because or if it's at 1.2- Last week it was 6% less. Well, here, let's give me, I'll give you an example. Let's say your budget's 1.2, okay? Now, you haven't done your research, okay? A bungalow comes up for $1.2 million, but it's only worth a million. Because you haven't done your research, you may end up paying what that person's asking price is or close to <laughs> 135. it. 1.35. No, I'm just saying in a normal market, forget about the whole bidding war situation. Now you've bought a property for 1.2 million, because you didn't have a good realtor, because you didn't do the market research, because you don't know what you're doing, and you ended up overpaying for a property. And maybe you even got it for under asking and it feels good. Or maybe you think it's a nice property because it's got really good garden beds in the backyard and that's what you want to do all summer. But you just overpaid for a property because you didn't know what it was worth. It's the same thing in every market. So if you're going out there and you're bidding on properties that you can't afford, you're going backwards. 
You're going to be hurting yourself psychologically. You're going to think you're going to get a four bedroom. You're going to think you're going to get detached. You're going to think you're going to get this side of Lawrence or whatever. And you're not because that's not what the market is because you haven't done the research. And then in the end, when you finally realize what it is that you can afford, you end up having to pay more money for the same house that you could have bought in three months ago if you had just had somebody there helping you get the right information to, to make the decision on which houses you should buy. Asking price is a strategy. You should know based on your research, market research, which involves going to look at houses, which involves looking at data, which involves looking at the market, which involves making offers. You should know what you can afford. And if it's listed at $699 and you think it's going to sell for $750 and it sells for $900, it's nobody's fault but your own, to be no, honest with you. Okay, so that brings me to the, my next question is, if you, like, do people actually not make offers on houses they go look at? Unfortunately, right now, no. And that's the problem is it's everyone's desperate. And I had a 26% offer rate on a property. Remember how Fosh was telling us last week, 10%, one in 10? This one, this week I had a 26% offer rate. How many? 26% uh, of the buyers who walked in, it was like 40 showings or something like that. 26% of the buyers walked who walked in made an offer on the property. That's stupid. There's a carcass in the freaking cold cellar. <laughs> There's carcasses everywhere. Who's making 20, why is 26% of buyers interested in this property? That's that shows desperation. It shows that there's nothing else out there that the buyers yeah. are just basically writing off. Yeah, just write an offer. Just write an offer. Write an offer. I like the Call area. My, write an offer. Yeah. Buy, tell buy, them, buy. Tell, <laughs> tell them I'm in, you know, and it's silly, right? Like that's silly. It shouldn't be like that. Like you should be looking at more property. So even if the property is not for you, I'm trying to convince my buyers they're not listening. Even if the property is not for you, go look at it. Maybe it's a little smaller. Maybe it's not in the area, whatever, but go out there and do market research so that when you go into a property, you can see what it's all about, find out what it sells for, learn what type of property you want to, you know, buy so that you're not going around making offers on all these properties because you're going to have a, a better understanding of which ones will be close. I lost by um, $430,000 an offer a couple of weeks ago. That should have never happened. Right. So hold on, but you're talking like the market's still rip roaring and I'm hearing people questioning whether it's slowing right now. <clears throat> I, 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 he, I, I see tweets from uh, NASMA saying yeah. like this thing, you know, is definitely different. I feel the winds are shifting, like way less showings, way less offers. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of people are chiming in with the same experience. Uh, I guess it depends where you're working. I, maybe outskirts are slowing we, a little we, bit. We but... work between uh, Northumberland to Hamilton to Barrie. Like we've got our finger on the pulse. The, the market's yeah. still good. These are all these listings I'm talking about. Mine are in Toronto, but other I can't understand why outside. it wouldn't be good. Like how could it not be good? What would... showings are a little bit slower. Things are things. Yeah, twenty six percent of buyers are making offers. Everybody's do I really need like... that many showings? How many showings do I need right. if one in four buyers are making an offer? Even if it's one in 10, you only need yeah. 10 people. God damn it. I only need 10 people crazy. to get one offer. That's good. <laughs> Our guest is here. I thought maybe we were uh, not going to get to speak to him, but I was really excited to get to talk to, to Mr. Edward here. Can you hear us? There he is. Hey, sorry, guys. No problem. No problem. We Welcome. are live. Welcome to the Toronto Real Estate Show. My good friend Edward Skira here from 
My favorite website on the planet. I don't know who else uses it. I, from what I gather, a ton of people use it. I can't even avoid it if I wanted to. It's on every feed I have coming in from everywhere. <laughs> Urban Toronto. How lucky are we? <laughs> How lucky are we today? The crowds are roaring. Oh, my God. I'll tell uh, you. Well, I, I'm roaring in my head. This is great. Uh, sorry <laughs> about being late. Technical issues on my end, but I finally figured it out. So here we are. Guys had an internet company since 1996, and he couldn't get on the Zoom call with us today. Well done, sir. It's Good to see you. It's actually <laughs> stupider than that. The, the mouse battery died, and I replaced it, and it wouldn't work. So I had to run around the house looking for another mouse that would attach, and it finally did. So there you go. Glad you could join us. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was thinking this morning, like, what do other people use your website for? I mean, what, what, are, what do people use your website for from your perspective? So I do know that there are, um, about a, we've done reader surveys and about a third of our audience is in the business uh, of construction development and, and so forth. So they're brokers, they're architects, they're um, developers, they're suppliers. So anybody who wants to know what's going on development-wise is on the site. And then the rest are people who live in neighborhoods who are just uh, interested in what's going on down the block or are into architecture and development. They just want to know what's happening and they want to discuss it and uh, that kind of thing. So we did, you know, we did almost 330,000 unique visitors in November. So wow. we have a very strong community, you know, uh, you know, 2 million page views, over 2 million, but around that um, in November. So, you know, we have a strong base and it's, it's all organic in the sense that we've never spent any time trying to actually drive traffic they just showed up on their own and you google any project in the city and our name shows up pretty quickly so yeah it's uh it's, it's the way a, you want it it's a, it is a, a wonderful little uh community and we're lucky you know i joke uh, that uh, if i had started this in thunder bay or someplace urban thunder bay i'd it, you know i'd be working somewhere else because we happen to be in Toronto and uh, we're in boom time. So people like to talk real estate and they, they want to know all about it. Hence why two guys like Daryl and I can even get away with a real estate related podcast every single week. Right. Right. So right, right. We were called the Thunder Bay real estate show. I think you and I would be working at the same factory. <laughs> right. And you wouldn't be able to afford Thunder Bay in this market. That's for damn sure. Uh, no way. No way. I mean, oh my God. So when we started in 2002, we just started off with a discussion forum. And, uh, you know, if there was a 20 story proposal, people were uh, through the moon. It was, it was phenomenal because, you know, the, the nineties were not a good time for development in Toronto. And even in the early two thousands, it was just beginning. Like in a uh, good way to the, to the moon. Like they were happy about Oh, the they proposal? were totally happy because there was nothing going on or very little going on. Um, 80s were big and then the 90s you know were kind of slow in Toronto and uh, the early 2000s when it finally started picking up again and today if uh, if it's not 70 or 80 or 90 stories tall they're like oh hum right it's like oh it's just another 50 story building which is ridiculous but that is the situation we're in now we're building 50 story buildings on top of 30 story buildings downtown essentially yes there's a, there's a couple of those, isn't there? Um, there's well, definitely I mean, one that I know of on uh, University. 
So University and around Dundas, there's a yeah. United building. And it's not a 30, I don't know, it might be a 10 or 15 55 story building. stories total. But yeah, it's a smaller building than that. No, not that one, one, not that one. 481 Anyways, University. Uh, yeah. yeah. It wasn't, uh, it's not the, the United one, is it? It's not the United one on top of the no. TD uh, building? I forget what it's called, but I, I oh. see a lot of these. Even uh, uh, Sweeney designed his office. Uh, where is that? Richmond, Adelaide. He's got like those big uh, uh, columns holding up the building on sure. top of the... Sure. On Peter Street? Is it Peter Street? It's Queen Richmond West. Uh, is the complex name and yes they did that and uh, you know there's all sorts of interesting stuff happening and, and I, I mean that area you know so I, I'm old enough to remember when Queen Street was really sort of the bohemian kind of punk rock kind of alternative neighborhood in the 80s uh, and there were just parking lots everywhere and the garment industry had been decimated by free trade and so all those old buildings were empty and you, I had all sorts of friends that lived in those places and the rent was nothing. And today, you know, there are no parking lots left or very few. And all those buildings have been renovated and condos on every corner. The entertainment district really isn't even in the entertainment district anymore. It's condo city. And uh, it's just fascinating. And, you know, how, how that neighborhood has changed and, and all sides of it, you know, so um, it's growing rapidly. Do you remember when you first started the, uh, the, the, the threads, like how much was the price per square foot in downtown Toronto? Um, I don't remember what the price per square foot was, but I do remember the first tower of City Place, which was right at the corner of the round building, one of the round buildings at Front and Peter, is it? And, uh, or Blue Jay Way maybe, um, which is the same, I guess. Um, they started at $99,000. Oh <laughs> my like, God. It's for... like front and Peter, 10 minute, five minute walk to Bay and King. You could get something for under $100,000. What? Uh, and that was, you know, late, late, in, uh, somewhere in the late 90s, 2000s, early 2000s, whenever. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I bought my first house for two eighty five. dollars So yeah, 100 grand for a condo makes sense. Yeah, I was in two. To get a condo sold. 1999, I think I bought my first house. Like, put the money down for a new house and a new right. development. Crazy, right. yeah, hundred grand makes sense. That's crazy. Can you imagine? And a hundred grand, it wasn't like a 480 square foot uh, studio. Right, right. It was. It was whatever the smallest units were in those days. We were not the size you just mentioned. So, um, yeah, no, it was. It was. But I mean, and that was a wasteland, essentially, there were, you know, city place was nothing but a golf course or a driving range. And, you know, it was all waiting to be happening. And I remember one of the guys from Mencas, who I guess built down by Scotiabank, um, they built Air Canada, I believe it was Mencas. Um, and him saying, I should have bought everything. And they, they, like, it was a weird place to think about putting a condo and uh but they did and later it was like well they should have bought the, the whole the entire territory because it was a steal but nobody thought about residences really down there even though there were some on on on, on the lake already harbor castle and, and whatever else was down there but um it was a it was a no-go zone and now it's it's you know downtown center or whatever it is it's uh it's it's massive yeah, Such a, a lot more a lot more reasons to be downtown too right i mean the schools expanded 
jobs are expanding. People just want to have that downtown lifestyle, um, population growth, everything else. Right. So I think that there's just more people who want to live downtown than ever before. Uh, and that's, and that's fueling, fueling this even after the pandemic. So I grew up in Willowdale and I flew, I fled downtown as quickly as I could. And, uh, you know, we had a condo at near Market uh, Market Square, or, or it was Market Square, uh, right just across from St. Lawrence Market, and it was uh, it was a it was quiet down there for the most part. There were there wasn't a single bank past Church Street towards the DVP and maybe south of Regent Park to the lake. Nothing. And now you go down there and there's three grocery stores and there's twenty bank branches and the distillery was empty and and. You know, all of that area was like really nothing. And like a King and Sherburne, that's where my office was. Queen and Sherburne was my office. And now they're putting a subway station there soon. So it's uh, it's it's a world of change, certainly. Yeah. And that new great golf project that's uh, in the old uh, Keyside place. What, what's going on with that? Well, that uh, them and Dream are, are proposing, uh, you know, that was the Google sort of plan initially um and uh, sidewalk labs i guess or whatever it was um so they've announced a, a massive project for there they announced it this past week i mean it's going to take a while to get it approved and all the rest but they've hired some really funky architects and uh, uh it could be stunning i mean there's a lot of wood build there as well as as part of the project and uh um you know in five ten years that'll be amazing if it's done They're saying it's supposed to be all electric uh, they're going to do a, a lot of environmental stuff in there and they're using wood for some of it and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's uh, pretty interesting. It's Darryl's at the very early stages. That's a lot of rhetoric right now. It's a lot of like mm, why they got like the site instead of whoever else didn't get the site. And I'm sure that plans will change as things kind of come together, but Look, I think people in the city, didn't we want sidewalks, labs on some level, like this cool, futuristic city? Like, who really had a problem with this data collection nonsense anyways? Well, there were definitely people that were against it. And I am i don't know the details close enough. I didn't really follow it that much. Um, but yeah, there, there was a, quite a bit of opposition to it from that. I think Google just decided that, uh, you know, it just wasn't worth the money or the time or the hassle, whatever it was. So, um, you know, they have offices in Toronto and they're growing their offices. So it doesn't really matter if, if Great Golf and Dream do what they're going to do. It'll be great too. So it, it doesn't, we're, we're lucky to have, you know, it, it's not like, well, if they don't, if we don't get it, then uh, it's going to stay empty forever. It's not, and it's going to get developed. And oh, yeah. hopefully they're going to put some real, th the, the original, the, the, the early renderings and drawings and plans look amazing. And if yeah. they stick to it or close to it, it'll be great as opposed to just another ho-hum spandrel covered uh, condo, which we have plenty of. Listen, if it was up to them, what they just submitted would be built exactly how it is. Right. It generally isn't the developer that decides that changes need to be made from their initial vision. Um, it's not as it's not as uh, uh, cut and dry as that. So developers will will uh, announce stuff that maybe doesn't fit the city rules, and the city will work with them to try to change things. Sometimes there's a park that uh, they don't want shadows on. Sometimes it's uh, they're too close to something else. But oftentimes, you know, I mean, on urban Toronto, 
there's a lot of flack against the architects for, for you know per se because you know the building looks uh, it's got a lot of spandrel okay it kind of looks and spandrel it looks awful for the most part um but you can't really blame the architects they're not the ones that are paying the building oh, yeah. it's uh it's the developer so if it's cheapened out if it kind of looks crummy um you know you got to look at the people that are paying for it and sure. the more so than the I mean, and yes, the city will be difficult with stuff. Um, you know, there are issues with real estate in the city that I that I squarely put on the city. Um, I, mean, I, I don't know if you want to talk about the yellow belt at all, but uh, to me, that's a that's a major issue that is, is skewing real estate in the city. But um, you know, the developers, some of them are, are, are awful, and some of them are amazing. So it's just a matter of uh, seeing which ones are which. So talk to me about the yellow belt. What do you want to say about that? Well, I mean, you guys know what the yellow belt is, right? Um, so, um, you know, about 70% of the city is basically, you can't do anything in those areas. You can't, you can, you can build a monster home. You can build a 4,000 square foot monster home that has two people living in it, but you can't build a triplex with six people living in it because it's not zoned for that. And, you know, when you have a housing crisis and you have people trying to live somewhere and you have 70% of the land in the city frozen in time where you can't do anything, I mean, that's, that's gotta hurt. So either you can build a 50 story condo or you can build a two, you know, a two story monster home that really has only a few people. I see it in my neighborhood um, and you really should allow, and, and I, I'm hearing rumblings from the province that they're gonna change this or they're thinking about changing this. Um, you know, you want, if, if you're, if you're, if you need housing and you need people to live stuff, you don't need to have them all live in either orange drill or in a 50 story condo. If you just, if you just increase the density in the suburban areas that are uh, frozen in amber, then you would be able to put a lot of people in areas that are underpopulated in a lot of cases. So, um, I think that's something that, that has to be looked at. We know a lot about the city of Toronto's multiplex study and, and all that because we've had the uh, Ehan, you know, uh, you know, strategy or whatever it is, uh, planning uh, rationale. The um, you were just talking about the province. So what is the what is the province looking at as far as outside of Toronto? What is the province? I haven't talked too much about that. Well, the province is clearly pro, pro development, and so they are they're doing all sorts of things. They're they're chipping away at the green belt in some ways in some places. They're, they're pulling power from municipalities on sort of an ad hoc basis when they decide that a certain uh, plot of land needs to be built up and uh, the, the city might be holding back and they have the ability to override what the local municipality has to say. And they have like a, a ministerial order, I think it's called, like, I don't know the exact name, but they're able to overwrite, you know? So if the city says, uh, and this is any city, not just Toronto, uh, this is going to be uh, a one story, whatever they can say, well, you can put 50 stories there. And if they say they can, then the city has not no, has real no say on it. So they're messing with, with local planning somewhat, but in some cases they really need to do so. And because, you know, with the yellow belt issue, for example, I see it even just in, in my neighborhood with my counselor, you know, you get a hundred people in a room with him and, uh, and uh, they're all single family dwellers and they all don't want any change, he's going to have a hard time kind of pushing change into the neighborhood where his voters are. 
the province has it a little easier. They can just pull it all away and say, well, this is what's happening there now. And they don't have as much political push that the local councilor has. Um, but I mean, they are talking about putting some money into the local cities to help with the planning departments. They are looking at standardizing planning regime. So we track, we track development at all the cities in the GTA. And, you know, we look at the city of Toronto website, we look at Mississauga, we look at Vaughan and so forth. Each one of them is different. Some of them are better than others. Some of them have barely nothing online. Some of them have a really significant good source. The city of Toronto is a great one. Um, they all have different ways of, of looking at the projects. They have different names for things. They have different, so, you know, each developer who's working, if they're working in Toronto, they have different criteria than they would have in Brampton than they would have in, in Caledon and so forth. So the province is talking about standardizing it all. So that there's just one set of rules, one set of these even naming, um, you know, the way that you name things so that it makes it easier. I mean, why do you have to learn the different process across skills? Uh, it, you know, it makes no sense. You should standardize it. And that's what they're talking about. Uh, and they are talking about removing the zoning rules in places like Toronto. And the Yellow Belt isn't just Toronto. It's in every every city, any suburban area. They're basically set nice. So um, have you heard of the term white? Have you heard of the term white belt? No. This was something that I, I sent an application to Daryl. Remember that uh, investment uh, proposal, right? And they referred to the white belt as like, it's not quite the green belt, but it's still not in the official plan as being, um, it was like agricultural, but still not in the official plan. That was in Markham. It's like Major Mac and something. And you had never eight, heard of it either. million percent uh, yeah, yeah, the developer used that term, right? And we were like, where did that come from, right? Like he was describing something that was not green belt, but still agricultural and on yeah. its way to being uh, residential in the future. Who was that? Greystone? Is that what it is? You remember? Anyways, so good. So I've heard it here. That was a made up term. I, I believe you remember. <laughs> Fieldgate or something, wasn't it? Fieldgate. Fieldgate? Somebody, somebody, yeah. Anyways. So, so, so you have a unique perspective on things because you know basically everything that's coming down the pipe as far as, as new construction goes, right? So you, you have your pulse on you know, where guys are building houses versus townhouses versus condos and how many condos and how many units are coming up. It's a, it's a very interesting vantage point to watch this insane market. So what, what happens from your perspective as things kind of ramp up or as things kind of cool off um, from your vantage point? Like what, what behaviors are changing uh, as, as the market kind of gets crazy right now? Well, I mean, the market is crazy and uh, costs are going through the roof. So prices for building the stuff is going through the roof buying land, they're, they're, they're having a hard time finding land um, to build on. Uh, a lot of the prime spots, particularly downtown, are already taken. Um, and so it's, it's a frenzy in terms of trying to find land. And then when they start building, they're having problems with uh, workers. They don't have enough um, and they don't have enough supplies. And part of the supply issue is the pandemic and you know the same reason why they're having problems putting groceries in stores and stuff like that. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a crazy time because there is a lot. And, and there's, I mean, you know, we have a, 
in, in, in our database, we have over a thousand projects that are in the pre-construction phase. And that's everything from a townhouse to 90 story building. And uh, so there's a lot coming, um, but the question is how are they gonna get it built? How um, does that compare to normal? Like what, oh, it, where, where it, is that in? It's way beyond normal. Um, you know, and where and, were and, we two years ago? Oh, well, two years ago was still pretty busy, but if we're talking about 10 years ago, um, we're way above those numbers. And, uh, and I mean, you just, you know, I, I spent some time the last couple of months driving around town, uh, doing some updates on projects and you're seeing towers everywhere. Yeah, and I mean, crazy. Toronto's always kind of had that. Toronto was always unique. You know, you go to Chicago and downtown Chicago's got a ton of towers. You go a couple of miles in either direction. It's all flat. There's nothing. There's no high rise. Whereas here you can go to, to Markham. Bathurst, you can go to Markham, you go to Vaughn, you go to Mississauga towers everywhere and more and more coming so young and steels have you, like the amount oh, of yes. applications <laughs> at young and steels in the last four months is insane so i i grew up at young and steels that's where i lived near golden park when i was a kid up until i was in high school and you know the mall is gonna go and you know the north corner of uh, young and steels they're, they're planning on on the bond side 60 70 story buildings um it's it's and nuts. further west and somebody just put something on the uh i think it's uh republic again this guy is busy republic developments uh, the mazda dealership on on the east side of young just south right. of steels right just on the uh well and right there's and um, didn't mizrahi buy something gigantic around here too uh west a plaza of north of center point called yorkville north which mizrahi owns and he's planning so the north side of steels from basically hilda to young north to the railway lands that whole area is going uh markham has their own plans they're not as as advanced but there's a couple of buildings that have already been built up there and south of steels uh the mall is going to have something like ten thousand units when it's all built out um, and there's going to be a subway station there. Um, and so, and then, yes, yeah, south along Young, you can see the old Newtonburg Plaza is now. Uh, UM, and that's, yeah. uh, there's four or five towers. Five, yeah. there. And across the street, there's already their start. And I mean, it's the old, uh, the old Kane funeral home has been torn, was torn down last year. And there's Cerbera's building there. And there's a whack of, of proposals where the which is really now like a little Iranian a little Tehran or a little Iran or whatever you want to call it um, North Comer yeah uh, North Comer all those plazas there's a whack of buildings going in through there so insanity insanity and the and the crazy thing is is that even with these numbers 0, 0.0 chance of catching up to demand which is which is if we go back to the yellow belt thing it takes a long time to get these tall buildings through city, through development, through this, through that, and building them it takes a couple of years, easy to build a, a you know, a 30 story building. If, if you were to allow monster homes to be triplexes and, and allow six people to live in them or eight or whatever, those can be built fairly quickly. They're built out of wood. They're not that tall. They don't need all that concrete um, and concrete's terrible for the environment, by the way. Um, you know, wood build is much better. You could start satisfying that demand by just allowing gentle infill in the neighborhoods. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, on my street, you have 50 people, you could have 70 and you wouldn't even notice them. 
and you do that block by block across the city, you can have you know hundreds of thousands of new units built fairly quickly uh, uh, to, to stop up some of that demand. Now we're talking about supply and demand. I kind of want to hear your opinion on this because this is in the news recently, right? Everyone's talking the supply issue, but yeah, we've got record housing starts. I think Ontario had 100,000 housing starts in 2021, and now it's projected to go down to 77,000. Do you, do you ever, you personally, do you ever feel like we're overbuilding? Do you ever feel like, hey, this is a lot and you've got all the records and data to prove that we're building at unprecedented rates? Or is that ever a concern for you? No, because the government of Canada is allowing upwards of 400 to 450,000 new immigrants a year into this country. Of that, let's say half are coming to Ontario of which most of them, somewhere between 100, 150,000 people are settling in Toronto and in surrounding areas. You're talking about additional demand of 150,000 people a year. And so, uh, you know, 77,000 units is not going to help 150,000 people. Um, so there's a lot more, the, the, the population's growing. We just crossed something like 6 million. We're supposed to be at 9 million in about 25 years. That's another 3 million people that got to live somewhere. So we're not keeping up with demand at all. Now, immigration, though, just just again, to, to give some um, opposite sides of the of the talk here. If I'm an immigrant and I'm coming to Canada and I'm t- and I'm being told that I have to pay fourteen hundred dollars a square foot to get into a condo, that's the size of the, the house that I used to live in back home. And now I got to fit all my family in it or I've got to pay an average of one point eight. 9 million for a detached house in Toronto. That doesn't make me want to come here. Like I know we've got goals to US for dollars first and then compare it to the closest. I'm just, I'm just US saying that Im- immigrate. We, we 75% of the immigrants that we had last year were already here. So again, just, just talking out, thinking out loud here, who wants to still move here when the okay. prices are so high? Well, okay. Hold on a sec. Add to that a new layer of things that has, you know, happened recently in the country. Like, is immigration going to keep up the same pace now? Are people going, wow, I want to go move there, like, right now? I don't know. That place looks pretty interesting (laughs) to live in right now. Yeah. So uh, let's let's, let's look at it from a different perspective. Okay. So we got you here. So these people are coming from uh, Asia, coming from China. They're coming from... Uh, India, they're coming from all sorts of places across the world where there is political instability, where there is really poverty. Uh, you know, my I'm an immigrant. I wasn't born in this country. My family came here. We moved to St. Clair West in the, in the late 60s. I lived, uh, we lived in a house with my uncle's family on the ground floor and us on the upstairs floor. We shared everything. And, you know, the, 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 the parents got jobs and they slowly were able to purchase something way out in the suburbs and uh, and build a life for themselves. Canada is the golden place, if you ask me, for uh, safety, health, prosperity. People want to come here and they will come here because the places they're coming from are horrible compared to here. So are they really looking at, I mean, there is a lot of rich people coming too. I mean, Hong Kong, there's something like, in Hong Kong, there's something like 300,000 citizens who have Canadian passports. And if the Chinese government keeps tightening their control over that place, 
how many of them are going to just say the heck with it? I'm going to move to Markham and how take many already money. are? They already are, but yeah, they, like a funnel still, already, right? But there's still three hundred thousand or so of them in in Hong Kong, and I could be wrong on that number, but it's, well, it's that's the number familiar. I heard too. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, fairly it's it's fairly significant. So you know, do, do they want to live in places like that that are politically unstable or do they want to come here and, and yeah, it's maybe a little more expensive, but this is the golden land. Uh, they're so going to keep coming. So they're watching what's going on and they're like, pussies, that, that's nothing. Quick, I mean, pack, what, let's I get mean, to the you, airport. Are, are they going to go to Toronto though? I, I would be looking at the brochure for Saskatoon or, or Moose Jaw or, you know, one of these places and saying to myself, hey, yeah. Here's, For one here's second. a big difference here because no matter what, I'm working in you know the field that I'm in if I'm a professional or in the retail services industry if I'm not, and and you know either way the pay could be very similar, right? Uh, the, the the opportunity. I mean, what's Saskatoon's population? How quickly have they been growing over the last whatever? Toronto's adding the same number of people as Saskatoon every year. There's a reason why people come here. We have a strong <laughs> financial system. We have a strong high tech system. We have a strong film industry. We have a strong manufacturing. I mean. Uh, there's a reason why people come here. I mean, it's not like because Toronto has beautiful mountains and an ocean and this and that. It's because it's stable and it's healthy and there's a lot of jobs. And that's why they're coming here. They want to take care of their kids. So, and, you know, the government does have policies to try to get immigrants to go to smaller towns and other places. It's not that successful because people, who, I mean, do we really want to go live in Brandon, Manitoba? And like, what are you going to do in Brandon, Manitoba? At some point, you're going to realize all the works in Toronto, the schools are in Toronto, the hospitals are in Toronto. I mean, your neighbors are in Toronto, the closest neighbor. Crazy. Right. I mean, I, I had just, some, fa I had family when we came that moved to Sudbury and some of them were up in, you know, they were working in mining communities, Elliott Lake and stuff like that. They all came back to Toronto after a while because there was not, it was, not, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, there wasn't enough opportunity, frankly. I had a, client called me this weekend uh no last uh, last week and he said that his condo is going to become vacant and he wants to sell it his tenants are leaving and they're both dentists they couldn't get their license from india they couldn't get their licenses here but they could get it in the states so they're moving to the states you know two right. professionals couldn't couldn't get the the designation here and they thought they said okay you know what my family's here the people i know are here but it's too difficult to to work as a dentist so once it got approved in the states they're picking up and leaving next well month. You know what, for the previous four years with the previous administration in the U.S., and they were very anti a lot of uh, immigration and they were anti a lot of great people coming in. People started coming to Toronto and tech companies were opening offices in Toronto or in Vancouver to bring those people in because they could not get their, their visas to get into the United States because of, of, of that. So, uh, you know, there are always going to be cases of people who, will move to the u.s but i think we're getting a lot more coming the other way frankly but anyways okay so we've heard it here first we're not overbuilding it's safe to say but also all these projects realistically first. <laughs> realistically these projects that are all under application right now are many 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 years away well, even just the one he was talking about where he said 10,000 units at Young and Steels, which sounds like a gigantic number, but that's going to be 10,000 units probably over more than the next 10 years. Yeah, of course. Right? Mm -hmm. So like yeah. that that's nothing. Right? Mm -hmm. That's not even that's an average of 1,000 a year and those won't even come online for probably 2 years before they're for sale. 
Right. Well, Center Point was just announced, and right. yes, they're gonna they're gonna spend two years with the city and and whoever else to try to figure out. Like they did rough drawings of it, and uh, you know it's gonna take a while to figure out exactly. But you know, two, three, four years, I'm sure you're gonna see some construction starting. And yes, within ten years, you could conceivably have that whole thing built out. Maybe fifteen. It really depends. But so, but if we took in this magical fairyland, where if we took every single application that was in, and somehow we had the capacity to build it all, and we could just go instantly with all of it, I don't think we would meet demand. Um, yeah, we probably would, but that would be- How many units are there in the pipeline? Like, I don't have the number in front of me, but it's, it's many, many, many hundreds of thousands of units. I mean, there is a lot in the pipeline. Um, so it's, it's just a question of how long does it take to go through the pipeline and then you're ready to start, but you don't have enough workers and, you know, there's other issues, but there's, there, there, the developers are definitely capital capitalizing on this. They, they see it. It's not like we have a problem with the, with ideas and, and stuff. It's just a matter of, it, it takes time to build it. And if you are trying to build 50,000 units a year and you can only build 40 because you don't have enough cement, then you have to deal with that or you don't have enough uh, concrete workers or whatever it is. And, you know, the, the worker thing, it's not just demand. It's, it's a lot of those older guys that came in the sixties and seventies, the, the old Italian and Portuguese guys who are retiring and, and kids today I don't know anybody in my peer group that says my I want my kid to be a, a bricklayer. Everybody wants them to go to university and become a whatever, whatever. And they're coming out with degrees that are some of them are getting good jobs and some of them are like have a degree and they're working and, you know, doing very little uh, considering the, their education. It's it's tough because those jobs pay really well, but they're hard work. And, uh, you know, there's construction workers probably out there right now and it's minus whatever. And, then, you know, but they get paid well. But we how many need guys are building how many guys are building houses who started in the trades. Right. And now they're running major construction operations. Right. Where they're building well, houses and getting into development. And yeah, they all start. If you look at the big, bricks. if you look at the big de developers in Toronto, certainly the old school ones, the Tridels, that's how they started. Yeah. Uh, conservatory group started like that. Menka started like that. I mean, I mean, there's lots of them. Yeah. What about the rental building? So the rental report came out. I, I see like rentals in condos are like the vacancies half of what it is in the purpose built rentals. Rents are almost double or, you know, 70% more. Are we seeing more purpose built rentals? And I know that's because it's mostly older stock, but are we seeing a lot more purpose built rentals now being applied for? Has that been a shift? Yes. Yes. Yeah, certainly in the last five years. Um, there's a lot more of it. And, you know, rent controls were changed. Uh, so that certainly helped. I mean, I think they removed the rent controls on newer buildings. And uh, people are definitely investing quite a bit in purpose-built new rental. And it's all over the place. So, yes, that's becoming much more of a significant uh, source of uh, residential, for sure. And is it? I, I'm noticing that a lot of the purpose-built rental are on sites like giant sites that also have like retail and other and condo. Or are you seeing a lot of like just towers on their own that are for rental coming up? You're, well, you're seeing it across the board. What one interesting situation, and if we want to talk about this neighborhood again, you know, go you go to Bathurst and Finch and North of Finch. There's uh, on Antibes, there's a bunch of old rentals from the 60s or whatever. They're building infill. So these developers own these massive lots 
um, that have two towers on them built in the 60s, let's say, with a lot of grass around them that nobody uses. And they realize that they can build on top of that. So they're inserting towers now into the into the unit, into the properties they already own. And instead of having two 60 store, you know, two 60 1960s uh, apartment towers, they will now be adding a third or a fourth or fifth and even putting townhouses or whatever and kind of urbanizing lots that were uh, what we call on urban Toronto towers in the park, um, which we kind of hate because there's a lot of just empty space. It's green, but it's, it's fairly not used for anything. Um, whereas now there it's infill and it's, it's happening across the board everywhere across the city. Um, and, why not? You own the property, you already have your rental stream, now you can add to it, right? So that's definitely happening across the board. Yeah, and that is not affordable housing stock coming on. That is at market rents, right? So it, 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 it you, you, you people assume or people always want the developer to kind of pass on any savings that they get somewhere, but it's just never the case. A property owner, uh, investor, uh, a developer is is not going to do that, right? Just like you know, right. no suppliers like the people say transitory. Not, none of these prices are coming down. Like cost of construction is never going to go back down to two fifty a square foot, right? Right, right. People are not going to all of a sudden be you know it, it, downtown Toronto won't be twelve hundred bucks a foot again. I mean, that I don't know, because there have been, you know, we need to, we need to look back to history a little bit as well, because, you know, in the, in the 1980s, there was a massive condo boom in Toronto, and there was a massive office boom in, also in Toronto, and people were saying the same thing, and my, I had, the unit that I owned downtown uh, was built in 82, and I moved in in, like, late 90s, I paid the same price I paid, I paid, so I paid more than the original sale price, but I paid less than the guy who owned it before me paid for it because they bought it in, let's say, 88, 89. They bought it at the top of a market. And 10 years later, I bought it for less. So we should not forget that things can go down. And, and because it's nuts and crazy, if we get, if, if, if this inflation really starts to become a real problem and they have to really knock the interest rates up, you're going to see a collapse in this market, um, depending on how high the interest rates go. In, in, in the time that I, since I bought my, my condo at Market Square, interest rates have been low the whole friggin' time. But I, I know my father-in-law always used to talk to me about buying his house and having to refinance in 1980, and then the interest rates were 19% or 20%. They were hammered. Um, and, and so who's, who's to say that wouldn't happen again? You know, I mean, there's no reason to say that Toronto's just going to keep going up and up and up and up. So if the economy tanks, a lot of people are borrowing a lot of money to buy these units. And, and, and I, you know, I had a rent, a couple of rentals for a while that I got rid of, but um, I, I had a hard time making the, making a profit off of it between between uh, the interest payments and the mortgage payments and the, well, the mortgage payments, the maintenance fees and whatever else, the rent really didn't match. It was close. You know, I, I wasn't losing, but I wasn't making anything. I was making money on the appreciation of the capital. But if, I, I don't know how a lot of people uh, who are investing in condos right now are, 
how they're making their money back in terms of paying the mortgage um, from the rent. And if, again, if interest rates go up from, you know, 2% to 5 seven, they can. That's, a, that's the same thing as 14% on a $200,000 loan that, you know, your father-in-law and everybody else was paying in the eighties, right? Like the, right. the amount of debt that people have, we don't need it to go to 10 or 15% interest. You can just go up to five. No, it looks exactly. like if you go up to 1%, like from the <laughs> Fed rate and the whole thing explodes. Well, like, well, we haven't even had a rate hike yet. <laughs> well, yeah. But that's, but that to me is an important element here. People shouldn't be, for, shouldn't forget history. That not, it, it can't keep going up. There's no way, what is it going to be? $7,000 a square foot in, in 10 years. I mean, the, the, you know, at some point it hits a level that it can't keep going up on. People either won't be able to afford it. Or again, if mortgage rates go up, I think there's going to be, a, if you have money right now, I would probably wait and, and see what happens with the interest rates. If they go up and people start having to put stuff on the market, you might be able to get a better price in a, in a couple of years. I don't know. Famous words for the last 30 years. <laughs> well, <laughs> for, uh, for yeah, most people, right? Again, I'm a, I'm a history buff and I know that like things don't, you know, this is it. It's great. It's great. It's great. Well, no, uh, you know, um, you read, you know, read Warren Buffett or one of these guys who, who talks about that kind of stuff all the time. Um, just because everybody's diving in now, maybe it's not the time to dive in. Maybe it's the time to pull back. But then I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are people that have been. I know people who bought, who sold their houses, you know, five years ago and said we're going to rent for a while and wait for it to come down. And yeah. they they, yeah. they were burned on that. So yeah, it's a yeah. tough it's a tough call to make. I I don't I don't think anybody can make that call without the emotions of that you know decision, which is. Sure fear of missing out and, and it's a different so decision to, to when you're deciding to rent and wait it out it's a very different decision when the prices are going up three to seven percent a year than when they're going up 20 percent right 30 yeah. percent in the last two years right yeah. like all of a sudden it's like like what the hell just happened literally prices doubled in the last two years like all in the craziest of places, some places even more than doubled in the last two years. Right. Brantford was like 90% in two Bancroft, years. Bancroft, man, like Bancroft, 94% in one year. Yeah. yeah. So, well, so that's the three ahead. houses that transacted in Bancroft, though, right? <laughs> right, right. It's well, all relative. It's all relative, and it's, you know, the, 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 there was an article in the paper a couple of weeks ago, Fastest Town, Fastest Growing Town. In, in, in Canada was East Willemberry. I can't even say the Willemberry, name. Willemberry, yeah. Willemberry, yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah, but they're next to Toronto, essentially. So, of course, they're the fastest growing until they're not because the next town over starts growing faster. Um, in 2017, Durham. Durham. That, they crashed the hardest. In 2017, when the market went up, right. East Willemberry got all the attention right. and, and they had like a 30-something percent decrease uh, in two years because of that right that inflated price that the um urban sprawl had on it right right i mean you know again when i bought my condo downtown in 97 there were all sorts of sites in the east side of downtown that had started in the 90s or in the 80s and they made it to parking level to street level and they stopped and they just they they went bankrupt or they they couldn't they couldn't sell what was above and those sites are empty for 10 years 15 years now they're all developed now but they they started and stopped and uh, that there's no reason why that wouldn't happen again and it will happen again and i'm not saying anytime soon but it can certainly happen 
Didn't it just happen? Didn't we just watch that happen at Cressford? Well, no, Cressford was a whole different story. They uh, they were playing with, uh, and I don't know exactly what happened, but they were playing with their numbers internally. And yes, they went bankrupt, but all those towers are being completed. So uh, but didn't they have one built? Didn't somebody buy one that was already up? They had two or three that were under construction and fairly well done, and they were all sold off in the bankruptcy procedures. Construction really never stopped on any of them. The the uh, the trustees or whoever, the bankruptcy guys took over and kept paying the bills, uh, and then they were sold off to other developers, and they are all being finished. Um, there's a massive hole in Yorkville uh, that was the, the last property that they had, which was sold finally to Pemberton. And they are going to be building something massive there. So, uh, you know, Cressford was not an economic thing. It was a self-inflicted something was going on within them that that caused them to collapse. I remember looking at all their deals when they were buying them. And uh, me and our mutual friend would look at it and go, something is wrong here. Right. Like they're paying way too much for this land. Right. I don't understand. There was like Kingset would buy a piece of land. They would develop it and flip it over to Crestford. Like once it was zoned for right. some crazy number over and over and over again. And I can't, I remember just turning to him and going like paying too much for all this land. Like something right. weird's going on here. Right. Right. Well, there was a few things that, that went on there, but so, so from, from like, uh, 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 like the, 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 the forum perspective, when things like that happen, like what happens in your forums? Is it like an all a witch hunt? Does it get crazy? Do people get nutty in, in the chats there? Um, they certainly can. And uh, we moderate to make sure it doesn't go overboard. But uh, I mean, you know, you have in the forum, you have people that are knowledgeable um, who are in the business somehow. I don't know most of the forum. I know very few of the forum members personally. They all use handles and, you know, they, I, I can't tell who they are, but you can tell the ones that have some sort of connection or know what's going on. Uh, and then you have the ones that are just naive kind of fans and they're, and they're just saying stuff without really knowing what's what. Um, so, you know, the Crestford thing was very interesting. There was a lot of commentary on what had happened. And we did get, like, there are four members that did some digging and pulled documents from, from like, the legal side of things, the filings and stuff. So we were able to see a lot of the details. And so there were disgruntled employees at Crestford who were stating that they were doing this, this, and this. And the, the owners were saying otherwise. And that was all going to be resolved in court. Uh, but we we definitely had the information. We have that, you know, across the board. There's some issues with the one right now at the, at, well, not even so much the one, but um, the, the the money behind the one. There's some some issues with uh, some finance company that has worked with Mizrahi on some stuff. And uh, I'm not saying that Mizrahi has any issues here, but uh, there, there, it, there's there's talk, and then all of a sudden people will flip out about stuff when they don't really know what they're talking about. Um, but, you know, we try to inform people and then and, and they learn over time what's kind of how things work. And because you get people, you'll get people jump on and say, well, this building sucks and, and it's too big and it's too big and it's too big. And, and you know, it's like a 10 story building. And you find out that there's five or six people who are, live on the street next door or down the block. And they're out, you know, it, it's like the barbarians are at the gate and, and their neighborhood's being threatened because they're, they're building a condo down the block. Um, and so, the, you know, they don't want change. A lot of people don't want change. And so they'll come on and freak out 
And you know, most four members are we're we're pretty much pro growth. We are very pro growth, in fact. And so you know, we 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 have interesting discussions with people who are anti everything, um, and you get a lot of those. So so urban Toronto is a yimby swinging website, not a nimby swinging website. Oh, very much so. Yes. Very yimby. And what about the the popul the populace on the website? Is is that closer to even, or is it more? Of the no, Yimby variety. No, no, we're we're the people who come to the forum know that it's uh, we're, we're we're interested in the development for sure, and we want good development. We, you know, there's a lot of criticism about architecture. Um, there is a lot of criticism about de developers that cheapen out, and there certainly are developers that cheapen out and just put out whatever is cheapest and it looks terrible, and we got to live with it in terms of what, looking at it while they build it and leave. Um, so. But no, we're we're Urban Toronto is very much a, a, a site that is for development. Absolutely. What's the what's the trend on canceled projects over the last couple of years? Are we seeing an increase, decrease? How that how's that going? No, there was a, there was a few a couple of years ago. There hasn't been much now recently. Um, and I know there were some issues where, you know, they started selling the properties at a certain price but the construction costs were going up and they were not going to be able to make their money. And so they were canceled and then they were restarted. It's kind of unfair. I mean, it's very unfair, frankly, if you sign a contract to buy it, they should mm -hmm. commit to it, but contracts are contracts. And I guess they have a way to get out of it. And, uh, you know, it is what you, it is. You would think they would be on the rise because of that, right? Like you'd think the projects that just wait, just wait, couple, they're coming like a couple of years ago. And now these developers are looking at the bills to build and they're going, Oh, they don't have their permits yet. They don't yeah. know what the costs of construction are yet. So a lot of them are going to come. I have a feeling a lot of people who sold three years ago, like the sale prices in three years went crazy mm. bonkers yeah. and the construction costs crazy bonkers, but they didn't get the benefit of the sales going up. Now, most of them hold on to 35% of the units and they can get, you know, right. a lot more for them, but a lot of them hold on to the bigger ones too. Right. Right. So you're holding on to the most expensive inventory waiting. It's right. it's like, I don't know. I, I got a feeling that there's going to be quite a few projects that get canceled soon, but uh, what a great conversation. I think I could keep talking to you for like six hours about this kind okay. of stuff. The stats show that nobody's listening anymore. So we right. should save it for another day. All right. Well, but thank I'm, you I'm so all... much. Yeah. Yes, thank for our audience uh, sake, Edward, could you just kind of give us a little bit of a plug here where they can find you and your website and everything like that for all the listeners? Right. So urban Toronto, uh, urban Toronto.ca. And uh, we have a forum, we do news stories, we have a database, we have a bunch of uh, services and uh, you know, uh, you should just come to urban Toronto.ca and check it out. There it is right there. There's the news stories. Um, as I mentioned earlier, about 300,000 unique visitors every month, but 2 million page views every month. And uh, we've, uh, we've launched a new service called Urban Toronto Pro that allows people to actually track all the development across the city, across the GTA, in fact, because um, we are not just Toronto, even though we're called Urban Toronto. Um, we're basically tracking everything from Burlington to Oshawa to Newmarket currently. And we are actually expanding. We're going to be doing, by the end of the summer, uh, an arc from Barrie to Kitchener-Waterloo to, to 
Niagara Falls and you know all the way over to Oshawa so everything in there in that area is going to be on urban Toronto and uh it's, it's all good look at the well what a isn't this crazy it's 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 phenomenal phenomenal and, uh, and, and they and they and you know that first building with the x's that's a, an office tower and then uh the rest are, are tridel condos and the base there's office space there's all sorts of other space they're, they're there's purpose-built rental here too right and in in the middle there's an arcade which is a retail arcade and it's going to be a mall not as large as Eaton Center, but pretty, pretty large. It's going to be a massive sort of complex. And it's the architecture is stunning. Um, they've done a great job with it. So there's lots going on. Awesome. Awesome. We Thank really you, appreciate sir. you uh, joining us today. This has been a really, really, really good show. All right. Well, anytime, guys, if you need me back, I'll come back and uh, let me know how it does. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Ed. Edward. All right, guys. On Curiosity Stream, uncover engineering secrets from history's greatest masters. From the mysteries of the first man-made waterways to the building techniques of the early Americas, it's ancient engineering. Plus, 40 tons of trucks speeding down the interstate can be a recipe for disaster. See how today's smarter new age big rigs pave the way for safer highways on high-tech trucks. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.